Welcome to Talk On To Walk On with Michelle Walters, the podcast that celebrates the power of conversation. In each episode, my inspirational guests will share their own stories, recalling times when conversations have led to pivotal moments in their life journey. You will hear about how those conversations and moments of positive self-talk have encouraged and empowered them to walk on to where they are now. The aim of Talk On To Walk On is to inspire us to use words with each other and with ourselves that will change lives. Let's talk on to walk on and see where it leads. This episode is kindly sponsored by Baltic Bespoke, creators of custom designed garden rooms and luxury outdoor living spaces. From office spaces to cinema rooms, garden gyms, bars and cosy dens, Baltic Bespoke's modern, fully insulated garden buildings are tailor-made to your requirements. I absolutely love the garden room that they created for me, which doubles up as my studio. A beautiful separate space away from, but part of our home. Check out balticbespoke.co.uk and their fantastic Instagram site. Conversations combined with sheer determination and grit ensured that my guest never gave up on his dream of becoming an accomplished writer. Although he always had a love of writing from an early age, it wasn't until his 40s that his dream became a reality. Playwright, director and producer Dave Kirby grew up during some of Liverpool's toughest decades. This interview reveals many heartfelt recollections of those whose words inspired him, including his English teacher and later on conversational moments with Liverpool writing legends such as Willie Russell, Alan Bleasdale and Jimmy McGovern. Over half a million people have belly laughed throughout his sellout hit comedy plays, including Brick Up the Mersey Tunnels, Council Depot Blues and Lost Soul, all of which draw on the many colourful characters Dave has met on his life journey. Dave also pens stories, poetry and music lyrics that all have the amazing ability to hit you right in the heart. A lifelong Liverpool football club fan, Dave has also written terrace verse poetry for the Hillsborough Justice Campaign and in 2017 he was commissioned to create and consult on Anfield's interactive stadium tour celebrating the club's 129 year history. As well as writing numerous short films, documentaries and a BBC drama, he's also co-written a best-selling book, Here We Go Gathering Cups in May. He also has the absolute honour of being related to me. Dave is a brilliant storyteller, so settle in and listen to how the power of conversation got him to where he is today. I've got a quote here that you said you left school with nothing but a PhD in street wisdom, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. Um, but I've, So as a lad growing up in a working class family um, in Liverpool, obviously the 70s, 80s, um, Take us back to that sort of reality of life for you then um, as a kid from Kirby who loved to write. What, 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 when did that start? When did you, do you remember? I remember, I remember the very first, I used to love um, reading poems and books when I was a little, I was only like. So were they in the house, the books and poems, yeah, no, or was this in school? school? Yeah, yeah, okay. There was nothing like that in the house, so no. I was just reading in school. I was obsessed with reading when I was a kid and the, uh, I'm talking like I went in the primary school now. I remember like I used to sit mesmerised by some of the, some of the poetry 
Yeah, but actually writing stuff, yeah, that was that's, when I was in St. I got moved to St. Kevin's now. I'll paint a picture of uh, Kirby at that time. It's all in the early, early 1970s. And, mm. I mean, there was gangs on every corner. Kirby was absolutely uh, gang, gang orientated. It was, it was crazy. There must have been, I mean, there was like five or six kids in every household, you know what I mean? And that was the, that was a small family. I mean, one of my mates down the corner was a family of 14, so there was thousands of kids. So anyway, yeah. I think there was four schools at the time in Kirby. And St. Kevin's was the boys' school, 2,000 Catholic boys. It's the most populated boys' school in Europe, and uh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was totally brutal. So when I went there, it was an eye-opener because I went to a little primary school called St. Patrick's, which was all right. It was only a small school. That was an overspill as well. So the, the move to St. Kevin's was, was was a massive one for me, but uh, it was like the first year in St. Kevin's, so I'd have been about 11, and I started writing, uh, you know, I used to write, write little stories and stuff. But we got this, this teacher um, in English, and uh, he used to look like, there was now an, an, an old TV detective called Jason King. He had like Kelly and Muzzy and all that. Oh, yeah. We used to call him Jason King because he used to bingo for him. Anyway, I was a little bit of a scally back then. I was like, well, I was always messing around at the back and all that. But this day, he asked us to, um, to write a poem. But this guy, you know, he was passionate and, and they started doing poetry. I remember he'd done one by uh, uh, Robert Service, like the cremation of Sam McGee was called. And it's like a story. This Robert Service was a great poet. He was like at the turn of the last century. He'd done lots of stuff about the Yukon and the gold, the gold digging stuff and that. So he looked at this, this piece called Sam McGee. But, but this Mr. O'Brien, with his big muzzy and his big curly hair, and he used, to, <laughs> I used to come in off the tables like that. There was strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who mother for gold. Oh, and he was like, oh my God, yeah. yeah. So you, you were gripped? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Was, it, was it mainly you that was gripped or was it like everyone? I think it was mainly me. Yeah. Because, like, well, probably some of the kids laughing at him maybe? Or? Yeah, because but it was like, this, cause this story is about Sam McGee's about this, this, these two guys on, 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 on a Klondike. Uh, and he ends up committing them because he freezes in the cold. But it was like fascinating me, this piece of... But this Mr. O'Brien used to perform it, not like going out and he's doing all that. I think he was like a you know, wannabe actor, this fella. Yeah. And now and again, he'd bring his guitar in, Mr. O'Brien, and, and sing. So I was like, I was, I was basically, I, he, he gravitated to him because he was, he was doing stuff that I liked, you know what I mean? And all the other lessons I couldn't be bothered with. But anyway, this time he said, um, he said, I'd like you to do a poem about the human body. Uh, and it was for the competition. So anyway, I wrote this piece at the back. And, I, and we all answered him in. And, um, so anyway, he go, next day he went, come here, and he put me to one side. He said, this, this human? I said, yeah, it was me. I said, who's telling you what? So he goes, um, So how, is, how old were you then? Yeah, 11. 11, okay. He said, this is, this is excellent. He said, so he, he was, made me feel oh, great. Oh, yeah. And he says, he said, come, come to me a poem about um, doing PE. Was he testing you? Yeah. He didn't believe you? So I said, okay, yeah. <laughs> So I go, I go uh, to the back of the class and I've done this poem about you and PA and I'm going to come back. He went, he read it and went, my God, it is you. Honest to God, he, he made me feel like... Oh, amazing. Like, he did, yeah, he said, that's beautiful, son. And he took me sort of under his wing. So then the next year, I had him again in the second year. And I, I, was, I was made, only made, oh, David, you're in my class again and all that. So he used to, be, he used to give me little uh, missions to do something. Yeah, David, write a poem. And he used to get me to write poems. And, and, that, and by the second year in St. Kevin's, we were starting to get drawn towards all the, the sort of darker arts of, of the school. Mm. It was like bunking, smoking, 
Um, second school, we were even all on strike. And, you know, it was just following the pack. Mm. But he said to me this time, he said, hey, well, <laughs> so this piece anyway, um, he said to me, listen, you've got away with words, son. He said, he said, believe me, you've got away with words. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and that stuck in my head, you know, and I, I always remember it right through anyway. I'll speak about that again, again later. I don't know what he said to me, by the way, with words. But that particular piece, when when um, when he, he put it forward to the Liverpool Echo, and it got published, the, the one about the body, the human body. But what I didn't realise was that, like twice a week they'd have a school assembly, a thousand lads on a Tuesday and a thousand lads on a Thursday. So the, I remember being in the school assembly and the headmaster, he had the motorboard and all that, this Mr. Morehead. And, uh, and he's going on about blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, oh, and congratulations to David Kirby. But um, I'm just poem published in it. Oh, uh, okay. I know what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was just, I was sliding down my seat because I knew. I thought, oh, no. Oh, bless you. Honestly, God. So anyway, I just, I got, I got booted, punched. I'd all spit on the back of me blazer. <laughs> so um, I had two fights that week as well. The first time I, ever, I used to get the corporal punishment. Then used yeah, to yeah. Strap. That was the first time I got the strap because I was fighting this lad because he was calling me all sorts of bad, you know, about being a poet and all homophobic stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was I can imagine. And, and my own brother, my, 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 my eldest brother, he, he stopped making poems, you know what I mean? So oh, he, really? Okay. Yeah, so all the thoughts. Because it reflected on him, sort yeah, of, as yeah. well. That must have just made you withdraw, I'm guessing. Did it make you stop writing for a while or well, it was, did uh, you keep turning up to class? <laughs> uh, yeah, I used to do I used to punk out and come back in for English. Then punk, okay. Then punk out again. Right, okay. hated maths and all that. But, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I was like, uh, it, was, it was frustrating because I wanted to write stuff. But, but then what I found out, I started, I was not around with a gang in, in Kirby's, about 20, 30 of you standing on this corner. So I started taking a mickey at them. And back then, we, we all had like the old Fleming's jeans and their wear boots. And, yeah, yeah. Or the Stockton <laughs> Martins. And, yeah, yeah. Because you know, we're all heavy on at them, so... So I used to stand on the wall and I'd write poems about the lads and stand on the wall and recite them and they'd all be laughing. So I found a good... Oh, okay, through humour. Yeah, I found a good... You'd accept their sort of poverty as long as it, you know, was funny yeah. or humorous. So I started doing that in St. Kevin's. So, and in them days, there was no photocopies or nothing. So like, I remember writing this one about the headmaster. Because the, the, believe it or not, the school St. Kevin's had a real monkey in, in the biology lab and it was in a cage for years. Yeah, Jacko, its name was Jacko. Like, so, I, I used to love your friend and everything. It was like a little green monkey. It was, it was mad. It was there for years. So, it was mad. Yeah, so I, I go to Pombard. Well, I go to Pombard, the headmaster uh, and the school monkey in, 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 in an intimate position. Like, so, so anyway. Uh, oh, God, everybody loved you. Oh, the, the, the next thing you're trying to find out was on it. There's like, there hundreds of it going down the school. But like, like written in pen, copy, right, okay. no photocopy machine. No. So this poem was going everywhere in the telephone, so it wasn't with me. <laughs> so that shot me to start on that one. Okay. But all, all the art cases in it, because it, it, was, it was trouble all the time, and it's like, yeah, no fighting and that. But all the art cases, yeah, it's like a poem. Oh, you're yeah. cool now. Yeah, yeah. 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 I could handle myself, but like, there was other lads than me there. Yeah. Yeah, but I ended up knowing about the art table. So like, yeah, I do want a shiggy table and all that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So it was cool to write then. Yeah. It was on my terms. It was like, but I realised, you know, it was, uh, it was the comedic kind of humorous stuff that was that acceptable, was. really. Yeah. So I don't know, that, that, and that carried on, you know, I left school at, at uh, 15 and basically uh, I was right into the building today. Well, I've been in the building today with my dad from when I was 13. 
because I was always in trouble as a kid. You know, I was holding them off the rails. Yeah, yeah. And I was 13, something like 12, 13. So my dad used to take me everywhere and mix some plaster because to get me out of, out of trouble. He took me to Wales and everything one time. And uh, I ended up in a lot of trouble as a kid. And it, Kirby, I'll just paint a picture. They had mounted police in Kirby in 1974 to stop the gang fighting. But I couldn't walk to the, the local shop and I was having a fight. Honestly, there was gangs on every corner. I'm talking hundreds of them as well. You know, they, remember they had one night. It was like the, I mean, the football match. It was sort of like transferring the terraces of the football match where there was right. lots of trouble there yeah. onto the streets of Kirby. Every pub had a gang. And all you did every night, Running battles and all, yeah, it's crazy, crazy yeah, times. It's, I mean, it's more vicious now with knives and that, but the, the sheer volume and numbers that's what I grew up with, yeah. So, I got into a lot of trouble when I was a kid, yeah, through that, yeah. Did you ever um track down your teacher, Mr. O'Brien? Yeah. So, well, it, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because um, once Brick Up happens and, and I started getting out there, you know, going about Brick Up in a minute, but um, once I got out there, Sean, Sean Styles, who's on Rachel Mercy, yeah. Said, He's a great mate of mine. He went to St. Kevin's, Sean, as well. So we knew Mr. O'Brien. So I was doing an interview on Radio Merseyside and uh, I mentioned about Mr. O'Brien. I was telling him the story about, you know, when he said, you know, you've got away with words. So that was, I kept on hearing that. Even when I was getting all these rejections over the years, you've got away with words. Some believe me. So anyway, we put an SOS out on Radio Merseyside for Mr. O'Brien and uh, we couldn't find him. Anyway, nothing came back. It was about two weeks later, I got a phone call uh, to my landline at the time. 2006 this and um, it was an, another teacher from St. Kevin's who Sean had been Sean had been really trying you know for, for and he said I've got a number for uh, Eric O'Brien oh my god brilliant Eric O'Brien his name is and he, he, did you know his name was Eric no no yeah he just knew he was Mr. O'Brien yeah, well, yeah. yeah so, so anyway we got I phoned this number I was like I was like a little kid I was oh, more nervous yeah you know, like, it was like when I met the footballers for the first time I didn't know what to do. I said, oh, tripping over your words, yeah. Like, yeah. Hello, Mr. O'Brien. I'm, I'm still calling him Mr. O'Brien. <laughs> and uh, honestly, God, I said, Dave Kirby. Did he remember immediately? Yeah, yeah, but he did. So I told him all about myself and what's happening and, and that they're all caught in the theatre. And he was absolutely thrilled. Oh, so anyway, I said, would you like to come up with, with your wife to, to see the show? So anyway, uh, it was when, um, it was, yeah, it was the, the last second run of Brick Up, 2007. So he came up, he was living down south. And he came up with his wife, and uh, it was like a scene from Gone with the Wind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> running running towards each other. <laughs> I love it. But the, uh, the, oh. all the hair and the muzzy had gone. Gone, yeah. yeah and Bless he was like grey hair, but his yeah. eyes, he had these like piercing blue eyes, his eyes were still the same. And, yeah. And he was emotional. I bet he and, was. Because like, he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, all your career, all you want to know is like you've, you've connected with one kid. He said, and, and you're the, you know, the living proof of that. He yeah. said, I'm watching this stage and all this. And he said, I'm so. Oh. I said, and I kept on him and I said, you said to me. You did. Yeah. yeah, he kept on saying, you've got away with words, son. You've got away with words. And he said, that's never left me. I said, so you, you, you. I said, this is you know, down to you. And he was, oh, it, was, it was really emotional, to be honest. Yeah. It was a lovely, lovely moment. And that is yeah, that's, So Mr. O'Brien, you know, and, and remember um, there was a girl called Jill, Jill Thompson, and Jill was like head of all the English departments across the world in Cheshire. And she was having a seminar in Chester one time, and she asked me whether to come down. And speak to all these English teachers across the, from, basically from every sort of walk of life, even grammar schools and private schools, about connecting. So, yeah. um, I mean, and I actually gave a speech at this. So to massive our, ripple effect of Mr. O'Brien. So, well, yeah. that was the theme that I used, Mr. O'Brien. Be a Mr. O'Brien. Yeah. 
And um, one of the songs in one of my plays was called uh, Working Class Blues. And, and that's uh, that's what I recited to them that night because I wrote, I wrote the lyrics and basically, you know, it's, uh, it explains who you are and you, know, you get you just get pushed into the system, don't you, uh, if you don't get a good education. But but that's I remember them all. So they were all delighted and I got a stand on the base, something like that. So for Mr. O'Brien again, he said, yeah. I've just been... The teachers are applauding me <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing it. what, what an effect he had on, on my life. And, yeah. And I didn't know I was going to end up there writing full-time. Yeah. But Billy Russell said to me many years ago, he said, you don't choose to write, writing chooses you. He said, if it's in you, it's in you. And that was in me. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you meet? Like, so did you come? Obviously, Willie Russell, Alan Bleasdale. Um, you know, in terms of the the theatre scene was obviously massive then. Did, were you able to ever go to the theatre? Did did you? Is that what you did? And how did you meet them? And did you walk up to them and ask for advice? How did you get on their radar? Okay, well, um, I told you about St Kevin's. As I say, it was a brutal school and all that, but there's some fantastic lads that I met. And one of them was in my year. And his name is Andrew Schofield, okay. the actor. There we go. Like, uh, the start of a beautiful yeah. friendship. So like me and Zoo, I mean, uh, we were good mates. We just connected because he like was... Like Lennon and McCartney, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, not that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was great. So we, we sort of gravitated to each other because like, he was said funny Zoo as well. Yeah. Skilled, you know, he was hilarious. And I was, I was always I was always messing around. So we met then. And then, um, so years later... Um, we just kept in touch and um, every time he was in a play, that was the very first time I went to the Everyman because of him. It was only because of Andrew. I don't think he had to come, but there's, there's a play on called Love and Kisses from Kirby. It was about the ski slope that he built years ago, which was facing the wrong way. It was facing the wrong way. <laughs> it was facing the most way. hysterical. Anyway, it was all it was corrupt. Yeah. Councillors and everything Kirby was doing. Yeah. It was a great play, actually, by Tom McGrath. And that was the very first time I went to the theatre. I thought, oh, this is good. I like this. And because Drew was in it, you know, I was made up. Yeah, but, yeah. So, uh, watching him. Yeah, but I was in the building theatre at that time. Um, so, you know, I, I was like doing my thing. And then I go and see my, my, my Blood Brothers when the inception. I remember when Blood Brothers before it got, before that, it even It used to go around the schools, know. didn't it? Didn't yeah. it? It was before them. I remember watching it in schools. Yeah. And it was the very first musical that I ever went to see. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... So Drew was in that, so I used to go and see him and stuff. I remember going to answer Nottingham, um, he was in Willie's play, uh, John Paul George, Ringo and Bert in Nottingham. That's the first time I met Willie. Uh, so, like, you know, that's how I met Russell, but they just knew me as Drew's mate. Yeah. And Blee's there, I met Alan a few times years ago when, when Drew was doing the uh, Scully stuff mm-hmm. on the telly and that. So I met Alan uh, around then. But it was, as I say, they just knew me as Andrew's mate. So, Fast forward, like to when I started writing, um, and you, even when you start off, you know, you think you're just going to write some sort of like magnum opus, but it's, it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You, it's, it's like it's like the building say they can't just pull it out and do a ceiling. No, it's a learning process, and you yeah. two get better. It's a craft, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Craft, so, yeah. so from 1999 I started. So by 2006, when Brick Up and Lazy seven years. But like in them seven years, I got mentored mainly by um, by Alan Bleasdale. So I'd write wow. scripts, I'd send them, and they come back like I was like Mr. O'Brien had been in and checked yeah, them yeah, yeah, yeah. all six, and I've still got them in eyes, you know. Oh, yeah. And he's like, he put laughing out loud and little six, and, and just and feedback, little, little yeah. So, especially yeah. for Lost Soul, the first Lost Soul, and the uh, Council Depot Blues, he gave me a few great tips on them. Yeah. 
And then so you And did you always agree with everything he said? Would you get it immediately or did you ever disagree? Did you ever go, oh, was, did you dare to question him? <laughs> that's kind of it. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it, it turned out to be great advice. But I mean, a couple yeah. of them I left then, you know, because I'm, I'm not too sure what going to say this. Yeah. I used to get a laugh at the Royal Court because the Royal Court was totally different than the, uh, the Everyman. Yeah. Because Willie was telling me like years ago, they couldn't even use any expletives in the, uh, in the Everyman. Yeah. Sorry, in the playoffs, he could in the everyone a bit more, but the playoffs, no, there's no go. So, with the Royal Court, it's a populist, you know, totally yeah. populist theatre. So, so I mean, Alan was reading and going, Why are you going to get away with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he, actually, he actually came to the uh, the dress the years, you know, pick up the first one, and he says it was, he said, You've got it, it's on your hands here. He said, You got it. Did he? He said, I'm telling you, it's now. He said, This is going to be a hit. And he said, He called it. Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, so he's been a great mentor. I got to know Jimmy, um, I actually done it. Uh, oh, Jamie McGovern, yeah. Jimmy McGovern, yeah, yeah. Jimmy McGovern. And I, I wrote a monologue once, and it was like a monologue competition, and, and I won that. And Jimmy was the, he was the judge, and that's when I first met Jimmy. That was about 2004. You know, that was called the, the, uh, of the Builders Strike and all that. Jimmy's into all that, you know, yeah. socialism and yeah, that. Yeah. So, I was on strikes and everything right through my career in the building stage. <laughs> So when, did you used to write things down when things were happening to you or does this just getting your experience just get ingrained in your memory and you, where, where does the passion come from for what you're going to write next? Like why why that piece? Well, well at first, I mean, it just when you're creative, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've, I've written, it's from characters I've met. I've met that many. Yeah. And I'd like the theme, I mean, so Alan Bleasdell said to me one time, he said, it's the theme of a play that will work. So like the last soul, as you as you know, as you as you as you mentioned before, is um, you know sort of middle age angst and that kind of stuff, and I was sort of going through it at the time. Yeah. The Council Depot Blues was obviously, I mean, the main actor in it, Andrew Schofield. That's basically me, my journey. That's about despair. Yeah. So like, yeah. So there's things I really wanted to get off my chest. Yeah. And when, like when you first come out, because you'd like, suppressed yeah. it all, probably. Yeah. Because yeah, you were used to just not opening up, I suppose, and exactly. you said this was your way of doing it. Exactly. So I, yeah. I think when a band first burst on the scene, you have a couple of great albums because like oh, you just got loads of things to say. To say, yeah. Yeah. So um, I've had like seven at shows now, uh, which is I'm proud of that. But, but you know, it keeps the, the memories keep coming and, and comedy wise, you know. It's a, I just go into the, a room on my own, into this bubble, into this little surreal world with all these imaginary characters. And so the, the, the creative process is difficult to, to explain because you can't. Remember Andrew Schofield saying it's he, instinctive, he, isn't yeah, it? Said, it's in your belly. Can't teach you. Mm. I mean, I went to the workshops in, in uh, John Moore's, and they were helpful, and I met some like-minded people, which was nice. But you know, they, they didn't, uh, they didn't actually teach me anything to, to create. Mm. I mean, there was actually a book that they had one time in this workshop that said. Creating characters for script. I was like, you know, breaking down how you create a character, sitting need that. No. I mean, I just based them on people I've met. Yeah. And all, especially the Council Depot Blues. I mean, that was. Uh, I've said after that, I reckon that's my favourite, you know. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Is it Stan? Stan? Stan, who was the main character? Old Stan, and he's. he's yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's retired on the day. And yeah. He, and that was from real life, because I mean, around all that comedy that's, that's in it. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a poignant journey of the old man. Yeah, and that's what I loved about it. Yeah. I love that because you, you do get the belly laughs and that razor sharp, those quick-witted yeah. moments which are brilliant and, and they're releasable and, it, you know, it takes you to a different place. But you bring people back to the realities of life, Dave, and that's what's so yeah. brilliant about your writing. Well, that, that particular, I mean, and, and the, the main character Andrew Schofield plays Danny. 
you know, he's, he's got this talent and he's always, because every time, when I was in the council, um, I was in there for 16 years and it was great and all that, but every day or every week, you'd say, I can't wait to get out of this place. Everyone hated it. Yeah. Couldn't, I mean, because it was just, let's face it, you know, like, yeah. clearing out shitty empty houses. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I, I just want to do that. So, so the way you got through it was to banter them, but I do laughing and taking the mickey out of each other. It was only the laugh that kept you going. It's just only the people that are work, you work with in a, in a dead-end job that can keep you going, and that's what that's what that was about, basically. So that right throughout that play, and they're all trying to get out the council, as you know. That's mm. I used that as the main the, the, the despair of that. And that's where the working-class blues uh, song came in. I mean, I remember writing that in the ocean on a, on a guitar that I found in an empty ocean dingle. I mean, oh my house. god, the irony yeah. of that! I know, and I can't really play guitar. I can just strum it, so I just done this basically, you know, a blues tune. So you can't play yet. You do all these, you do yeah. all the lyrics and the poetry around well, I can it. Play, I can play like basic tunes. I know what. So I'm did doing. you hear the tune in your head as well? Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. But yeah. then I give it to the musical director. Yeah, it was Howard Gray on that, and Howard just takes it to another level. He brings, yeah. you know, around the banjo, yeah, the keyboards and everything into it. You know what I mean? But but the actual lyrics to that, you know, it sort of describes. Yeah, basically that, that, that whole kind of theme of that play, which is like, you know, um, the song was uh, Working Class Blues. Way back when I was a schoolboy, nobody told me to score. Most of my teachers were useless. My education was poor. So I left school with nothing. Most of my friends did the same. They, they stuck us into a system. Now we're just playing the game. Now I'm counting down the years, wishing I wasn't here, hearing voices in my ear. Singing out, singing those old working class blues. These days I'm constantly thinking about the life that I missed. That's why I'm constantly chocker. That's why I'm constantly pissed. He stole the dreams that I cherished. He came like thieves in the night. He stole my education. That's why I'm shoveling shite. All around this goddamn country, the song was always the same. We're all just part of the system. We're all just playing the game. Now we all count down the years, down our sorrows in our beers, hearing voices in our ears, singing those old working class blues. So that was the uh, that was the piece That's I done. Amazing. I done that, that. So they made that into a song, but yeah. that, that you can feel in that. How long did that take you to come up with that? I mean, that was just that's phenomenal, and it just like I can. Feel the emotion welling up in me, and I've never been in that place. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like because it was coming from the heart. Yeah, I've lived it. Yeah, I've lived with guys like that. And like while I was writing Council Doctor, although it's a like it's a spoof and it's a laugh and everything. Yeah, it's a really powerful message. When I was writing Stan's journey, there was that times it was like it was well enough, and you know there was tears. Yeah, yeah. And that's Jimmy. Jimmy McGovern will tell you, you know, if you don't cry or laugh at your stuff, you know what I mean. It's not working. So I knew. If I start crying when I'm writing something, and Stan's journey really, because I was thinking of all the old guys yeah. that I'd met, and you know, when they, they'd left us the council, and within a couple of years, they're gone. They'd pass away because they can't handle it. They didn't want to leave, you know what I mean? I remember one particular guy, and he's like, ah, and that's basically, I can't wait to get out of this. Oh. Yeah. And he'd count down the days, and then on the day, he broke his act, and he was a tough lad, this. That's, yeah. uh, his next box of tattoos and everything. And we had to, we used to have a little party for them. No, that's what the basic premise is in the, in the play, isn't it? Yeah. And um, at the party, he broke, he broke down. Harry, Harry, his name was, but I don't say his second name, but Harry. And he broke down. So it was a tough lad. So he, 
he didn't want to go. Institutionalized. Yeah. So you you were his world. They yeah. were his yeah, you know, that was his routine, uh-huh. the banter as well between fellas especially. Yeah. It's Absolutely. you know, it would escape keep them even though the actual job was crap, the banter between the fellas it was priceless. Exactly. And went right through that show. That's how they keep going and all especially in our city. I mean, the, the, the banter is like ridicule, you know what I mean? Yeah. We all rip each other, yeah. it's a bit. Thick like, skin. Yeah, it's like, and it's like that's self-depl- you just got to take it. That's self-deprecation and all that. There's yeah. all that going on. But, but I use like different characters in that, you know, uh, to catch each generation. And the young fella, Shorty, who um, he, everyone loved him as well. He was like, yeah. he said, all right, there, uh, Kedder. Yeah. Of them, like, <laughs> With his hands like, down, like, his trousers. Like, yeah, yeah. One of these Zug Baron. Yeah. And I met a few of them, and it got up, and a couple of them went on to these Zug Barons as well. <laughs> So uh, there was so much yeah. for everyone in that, but like the, the basic theme of despair was there right through it. And uh, Stan's journey, uh, which was fantastically played by uh, Phil Hearn, and uh, mm. you know he, he caught it perfectly because mm. if you stripped all that away and just followed his journey, it's quite a sad story. He's mm. thinking back and everything, isn't he? So and he lives on his own, and, and like the, he was based on his character. And as I say, you know, this Harry fellow broke down then. About three months later, he started coming to the council even when he wasn't living there. Oh, really? He's still coming to say hello? Because he didn't know what else to do? Just sitting in the canteen with us, just having his dinner and then and yeah. go home again. He had nothing. Do you know what I mean? So I captured that. I was, it's probably, I mean, out of, me, out of all my plays, you know, that's it's probably the closest to my heart uh, because mm. there's so much in me in there. Yeah, that's people, probably why it's my favourite as well. Yeah, people yeah. ask me about that, you know. There's, I love them all, but I mean, that one in particular, you know, has got a lot of me in there. Uh, I was just cut because my dad, uh, I, I started writing them when my dad was still still alive. Yeah. And he passed away in uh, 2007, Christmas Eve. Yeah. And it came out in 2008. And I was halfway through. Oh. I, used to, I used to tell him bits and pieces. Yeah. He's in it, though. Yeah. He's there, isn't he? Well, I used to hang his, no, his cat. Yeah, yeah. I used to hang it in the canteen. And, yeah. And didn't you use your bag as well from yeah, yeah. Your, your building days? Yeah, yeah. So your plastering bag, was so it? We still asked the tool bag. bag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But no, it was, so it was, yeah, it's, it was a nice story, that book. But Cancel Depot Blues, yeah, that was, yeah, it was a nice, nice, nice piece, but, but obviously captures everything that I was trying to, you know, that I was trying to say, especially at that time. And I didn't know what to do with the council because it was that, I went to bricklayers, plasters, and ended up on the, on the rubbish wagons and that. So it was that fast. I thought, how would you put that into one show? Mm. But, uh, so I thought, I just thought it was the most, the six most craziest, wackiest characters that I met. Did the they recognise themselves? Well, Have any of them been in? And all, all the council lads who come in, like, that's got to be so and so. Yeah, yeah. The big fat slob who's played, <laughs> plays the form. Yeah, yeah. He was real. I won't say his name, but everyone knows him. Like he was a slob. And, but um, and it was only spent like all the bosses there. Yeah. Came across and that. You know, he'd say, "Come on." Does they demean you? Wouldn't they? Yeah. I suppose there was no. Yeah. Thought they were boss. better than you. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the bosses were like ex tradesmen who couldn't do the job, and they just get put in an office somewhere. To yeah. Away. And the sign said, "Yeah, come on, let's have ah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. there was no respect there. I mean, but it was a great, it was a great, great uh, sixteen years, and and that's every type of character that my my city could produce. Lucky enough, I've had some great uh, actors in my piece. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, Bobby Schofield, who's um, a recent piece by Jimmy McGovern, the uh, time. Yeah. You know the three lads are now Sean Mason, uh, James Nelson Joyce, and Bobby Schofield. All being in yours. Yeah, all being in my work. So it's nice to see them coming on. Yeah, yeah. They're the new breed of their, their actors. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, you've given them a platform and the place to practice and yeah, get yeah. art and. Absolutely. Yeah, I especially live theatre is like 
the best place to do it, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of really nailing the character and being live in front of an audience that what yeah. are expecting, certainly from your writing, the belly yeah. laugh, but the empathy and the poignancy and the so they've yeah. got to get it bang on, haven't they? They've got to get it, yeah. They've got to get spot on. I mean, and Andrew, obviously, Andrew's he's top drawer, yeah, you know, top drawer. But obviously, it's not always been. Obviously, you've had tremendous success, but you know, you've also had to deal with a lot of rejection, which is, I guess, is that is probably normal and synonymous with the industry, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But again, I think you've had your fair whack, haven't you? Yeah. Tell us about that and how, again, what you did yeah. to just keep going because. Obviously, if the money's not coming in, you've got a family, mm-hmm. um, all that, you know, what 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 was it again? Other than those words of Mr. O'Brien, which I know have never left you, mm-hmm. what kept you going to pursue your dream? Well, it was like, you're talking about seven years of the VTX. At first, I mean, the, the script I used to send to BBC and stuff, they came back, they used to always come back in the same brown envelope, and so you knew what they were. Yeah. But like... Looking back at someone, they were a bit futile to be honest. When they no, you've been a second, but, but good you for think, you for sending them in that, you yeah, know. Yeah, but you, you think you've just written something great, and yeah, as I say, it was an early day that so they, but by the time you saw them in 2003, which is like three or four years later, um, me and Nicky, Nicky also just basically selling on Nicky. Nicky's from Kirby, like myself, he went to St. Kev's and all that. Great uh, football families to go, you know, he's at away games and everything, so he's a great lad, Nicky. So, and he, he used to. I used to meet a football and just talk about the arts, you know, like my writing, you know, and it was, was football conversation get put, put to one side. We just going about writing for ages. So he had the same kind of mindset as me. So we got together around 2001, 2002, around there. So we came up, we were in the Casa one, like the Casa Bar in yeah. Oak Street, which is great, all the sacked up as a set that up. So we're in there and big John Cowley, cracking fella, ex soccer. God rest his soul, passed away now, John. But he was said funny, this John. And he used to do quiz nights every, every, every week. So me and Nicky used to do this workshop in the uni and go to Casa for a bevy after it. Yeah. And then, anyway, John was going, and, then, and he was reading the echo this night, man. seen this cheeky cow, he said. And it was a letter in the echo, uh, the letters page. Some woman from the Will uh, had written in and, and like, uh, criticising the Liverpool accent because some girl who works in her canteen in the live buildings where she worked. Uh, she said she, it doesn't uh, doesn't portray the capital culture in the correct light. Right? She's she's a bit uh, too too rough and ready. Honestly, wow. So we're believing this. Yeah. It, she's, so she's this woman's from Heswell. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. And, and she works over here, <laughs> slagging her something. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, she's, she's coming over here and slagging her accent. So anyway, there's like for half an hour, there's like this anti widow to that. Yeah, from the snooty elements of the world, obviously, but yeah. but um, it was also we just gone through all these surreal situations. We had like cans of <laughs> shooting shoot the, the ferries on the mares, you know. Like, we were thinking of all these bad things. Yeah. So Big John says, "Yeah, we should write something about it." And Big John says, "Why don't you go upstairs and just on the week?" He said, right. "Write something about it." So all right, yeah. So me and Nicky just once a week we used to go over Monday, and it was Mad Monday, then no town Mad. Yeah, Monday. yeah. So we'd be upstairs in this room, like we just started writing this pick up and there's song, just going through the notes and that. And they were all singing downstairs. Yeah, they're all singing on the, the Mad Monday crowd. So um, that's where it started. So the inception, the inception of pick up and there's songs came through that. And funny enough, we used to use that particular um, letter from the Echo in the show. Yeah. Yeah. 
Zal ik daar allemaal van mensen want she she never, she never know what she started. But it was yeah, like, obviously, it was like, it's like a class thing. And then we, we made it like Panto-esque. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the, the actual theme of it, you know, was like, we were angry, man. He's a cheeky. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you get that, that kind of insularity, don't you know, anyone having a pop at us, they get it back. Yeah. Going from our, from our city. Yeah, yeah. It was all that going on. When we used to, when the song, uh, Bridge of, when the Runcorn Bridge blows up, it used to be just like, like someone scoring the uh, <laughs> the cheer in the crowd, and I was like, "There was one night." Me jumped out as well. <laughs> there was one night where it blew up. It was like, "Honestly, God, it's like Blue Pills going in Istanbul." And like, there was even paper planes coming down from the uh, from the ship down to the stores. And then when it all settled down, this little voice went, "How am I going to get home now?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, was he- yeah, so fan, fantastic form with that, but like that, yeah. that came to anger. But that particular play, we offered it to the Everyman of Playhouse in 2003, <laughs> rejected it, wasn't for them. Uh, we offered we had it in the comedy festival in 2004. It, it got it got a skipped and performance. Andrew Schofield was, uh, was in it, um, was went down a storm, and the end fights of them they came along and did them on and on. So, like, they rejected it twice. Um, so we where can we go with this? And lucky enough, um, Kevin Fearham had just got the lease on the little court. So I, I went to, but I, I went down to his office at the time. His raw hard comedy. He was, he was in there. Oh, yeah. And I just walked in and um, I had the script. Well, I, we only done half the script. It was just the first act. Okay. So I just turned it on his table like that. And he looked at me and I said, You don't know me, mate. He said, But you're going to produce that. And he's looking at me like, Andy's so confident. So he goes, yeah. Uh, um, I said, by the way, Andrew Schofield's going to be in it. I'll see you later. There's my number on the front. But I hadn't got 10 yards on the road. And he came out and said, come, can we have a coffee? So I'm like, that's, that's, yeah. that's how I just went in. And all this, yeah, just very confident. Him, just fronted him. Because uh, like, you believed in it. I mean, yeah, we, we just... Yeah, we just, and, and we, in terms of the rejection, though, were oh, you just fired up? Angry. You were angry, yeah. Angry, yeah, I mean... I'm, and anger me, passion, because I knew the people who were rejecting me. It was like, I was trying to tell them, listen, this will work in our city. You don't know. Yeah. You're not from our city. That's not being insular. It's just yeah. being a realist. Yeah. I said, this will connect. So I was determined. And, I, and when, every time they reject the second rejection, I was going berserk. I said, they haven't got a clue what they're doing, but thankful enough that all caught was happening. But, but then in the meantime, in 2005, I, I got working with um, Kensington Fields Community Centre. Mm. Which was a lifeline there because I was a week away, uh, not four days away from going back on the trial, Glaston, because of being rejected, rejected, rejected. And they rejected Lost Soul um, as well. So, so we, you're really feeling it then? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and I, got, I got a lady who played rejected. So I was like, that's this rejection. I used yeah. to just go to the gym and I was like, yeah, those wall bags. I was going to ask you, what's the challenge? Did you deal with it? Yeah, I used to go to the gym and like release and those wall bags. Yeah. Just take the wall bags on for about half an hour and go home. They're not beat. They're not going to beat me. They're not going to beat me. I was like, angry. Where did that come from? Where does that, because some people would have just given up. Yeah, I think it's from the streets I'm from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, as I said before, I was, I was involved in lots, lots of struggles as a kid. I was even in Bristol for 18 months. You know what I mean? That was really mm. all of gang fighting and stuff like that. So I was always in trouble. And, and, but that anger, that's, you know, I think when you're from, from nothing, you've got an anger in you. you, know, mm. you, you, you I always say to like, you'd never, like, you'd never see a middle-class boxing champion. You're always from nothing. Yeah, you've got yeah. anger on fighting. Mm. You know, you'd never see... Like, Resilience. Look, yeah, you look at yeah. Stephen Gerrard from the Bluebell Estate. You look at Wayne Mooney from Croxted. You look at Jamie Carragher from Marsh Lane. They're angry. Yeah. They make the, if you, if you, so if you've got some, some sort of talent, you've got that anger as well. 
it's driven. Yeah. And we, when you keep getting rejected, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't having it because I knew in my own heart of hearts that, you know, we had children and we could connect. And Kevin Fearing seen it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he was commercially driven, which the Revenant and Playhouse aren't. They're just funded by the Arts Council, so they just put what they want on. Yeah. They, they, they say, oh, we'll tell you what we want. No, we tell you what we, what the city wants. You don't, mm. it's not the other way around. I mean, I'm receptive to Shakespeare and stuff. And yeah, fair enough. I'm a, I respect diversity, but, but it was all one way with them. Mm. Jim and Bodinets and Deborah Aiden, they, they actually, well, I like to thank them now because they told me. Well, that, exactly. that's, you, you thank, you, that's the whole process, isn't it? That's what I love about the fact that you kept going because you've got such a brilliant story now of rejection after rejection after rejection. Yeah, it just fired you up even more. Yeah, it, yeah. Did, it didn't knock you down. It no, could no. have easily done, though. It could have done, yeah. I mean, maybe less of people would have walked away because I know plenty of life, you know what I mean? It yeah. Just, you know, this, uh, that's, that's it, game over. But, but like, I was, I was driven, I was so passionate at the time. I used to, I used to be right for all hours. I don't have like two or three hours sleep at times, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was angry, I'm like, they're not going to beat me, but to, to, to tell your wife that you, you're giving up your job to just pursue this uh, this writing thing and then nothing was happening 60 um, years later. Would you voice off to Julie and tell her how you felt or would you keep it in again? Well, I'd tell her something, to be honest, I, I didn't tell her. You know, mm. like, no, you're again, protecting I, her really I, I didn't tell her about the rejections because, okay. I mean she knew about the, the, the ones that come through the door obviously yeah. I didn't tell her about the, uh, the everyman ones and that's I used to get angry at her because I said you know, for six years I mean, I know, when she was she, when she started doing extra hours she, yeah. was, she was working there for Incredible. the gyro bank then she's done extra hours to sort of fund my you know my dream sort of thing but cause I, think, I was at first I was writing every night but I was falling asleep yeah. After plastering of the day, I'm falling asleep. So you needed the, the you're so dedicated though. Yeah, but it was like that. This dream, and I wouldn't give in. But like that anger, and that, it just come from um, you know from the streets you're from. I'm, I'm I'm convinced of that. Or did I read that you actually probably saved the royal court? Are we allowed absolutely. to say that? Yeah, yeah. No, well, Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin Fear, and that is he's the uh, you know the CEO of there. He'll, he'll openly admit that. Yeah. Because um, and give Kevin his due at the time. Yeah, we've had a few ding dongs, me and Kevin, but obviously, like that, that, that's yeah. business, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I mean, we, we get on, yeah. But, but at the time, you know, it, it was his last throw of the dice because Brickup was like they saved the building, you know, yeah. Was, if it wouldn't have worked, he at least wouldn't have been renewed, so it's safe. So, everything that's happening at the Royal Court now goes back to Brickup and Mercy Tunnel, so yeah, you know, it is a massive part of the history of that. Of that uh, and, and the whole ripple effect into the local economy is obviously absolutely massive as well. Yeah, massive, yeah. Because so, they don't just come and they, they come and eat now there as well. You can eat and drink, sure. and that's what's so lovely about it. Yeah, it's like a cabaret feel. It is. You know, you know it's, it's lovely, and and, the client, and people trust it. The, the key with you, though, Dave, is that you make it real. You make it real, and that's what people come for. And like you say, that escapism. But coming back to the football, mm-hmm. you know, Talk about escapism. We've we've had like obviously had I don't know how many months without fans now, and it's like that's been hard, hasn't it? Because mm-hmm. obviously I know more women and families are going to football now, but in particular for men and getting away from the realities, you know, football, you know, banter over a pint with the mates and getting out. And I'm gonna I was gonna say every Saturday, but it's not Saturdays and that was on all different days. I can never keep up. But historically, it was Saturday, wasn't it? Saturday yeah. afternoons with your mates and um, that whole... You probably wouldn't open up about what was really going on in the heads and in the, in their lives. But it, again, it was like the theatre escapism, wasn't it? Absolutely. 
So, you know, in terms of mental health and all that, we need it back, don't we? We need theatres back. We need the footy back. We need to be getting back out there um, because it's it's more important than ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when I was younger, the the thing about football as well, especially from from a fella's perspective, we don't really talk or express emotions, especially my generation. And that's that's the same for a lot of lads. But, I mean, I... I don't think there's once in my life I ever saw me half of that or, or my brothers and all that. You love them and all that. Oh, there. That's a, that's a, you don't go there, you know what I mean? Mm. But if I'm in the cop and I'm making and I have Kevin's next to me, you know, Liverpool's got to go and got me tongue down the throat and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. there's a bond. Bond, thing. yeah. You know, Connection. So, so that, that, yeah. that sort of hugging and, and touching and all that. that fo- so, football breaks down a lot of barriers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, that for me was, uh, that's, that was a big one. When I was younger, like honestly, but to, to, to just go and escape, and that was the that was that's why I love the football club because um, I mean, the be same for Evertonians as well, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's just not just Liverpool, it's just yeah, football, it's football generally, in general, yeah. yeah. But, but the women, I mean, everyone talks about women going now, they were going back and I, when I went to Rome in 1977, yeah. it was all women on the train, all done on the done up in like all the yeah. costumes and that. Yeah, it was great going around, you know, five days on a train, should have seen them coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they weren't as immaculate. So yeah, they've always been there. You know yeah, what I mean? and um, so, but like, yeah, it's it's just. But women are more sort of again just generalising, but they're more yeah. open to talk about what's going on in their lives with each other, aren't they? Slag off and slagging yeah. off their old fella or whatever, you know, the husbands and yeah, and, yeah. and the talk about their kids and stuff like that. I think they're much more open about. It, whereas men traditionally just aren't like that. Yeah, no. uh, like you say. Someone scores a goal, and it, that hug and that connection, that that banter, having a pint afterwards and before, and all that. Yeah, it's it it, it massive. Some of the best memories I've got, you know, in my life, you know, uh, is around football, you know, the travelling. Yeah, you know, especially going away out of town and, and then creating like amazing memories. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's lifetime memories and stuff. So you know, we, you never forget these things, and that's that was my only escape when I was in the building today. That was there was not I didn't. Now and again, I go to theatre to see Andrew, but the main one was football for me. Mm. You know, and, and that was it. Yeah, so that's been from day one. I mean, I started writing the Liverpool FC poetry stuff. Mm. Yeah, it was under an alias at first. Of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I, so, what year was that? I started doing that about 1999. And how did uh, that come about? It came about because um, I, seen, I seen a, a poem. This, a, 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 at the time, there was a place, a thing called Red All Over the Land. And it was a fanzine outside the cop that's called Soul. And they also had, a, um, it was the internet was just starting around then, around mm. 1999. And they had like a, a forum. So I used to go on the forum as braces and boots. I didn't say my name. And it was just, it's just a ridicule everyone all the time, you know. It was just like a piss thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> all funny stuff and that. Yeah. But then now and again, I told Paul, man, and they go, who's this fella? Tommy. Yeah. But it's someone about my mate saying, Tommy McFadden, God love him, Tommy. Yeah, he passed away in 19... 96, and he was only 30 odd. Um, so I'd done a piece called a homemade flag and onto braces and boots. No, but I didn't put my name to that either. So they, 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 they got on Radio Merseyside, they actually read it out on Merseyside. It was going around everywhere, going, who's son this? So it was me. But I didn't tell anyone, but I did tell the family. That's that's okay. I went and told Tommy's mum. And because uh, it got, it got like uh, people from all over the world, like, you know, making comments on it in the, on the forum. So I took all the comments down to Tommy's mum, and she was delighted that I'd nobody kindled his memory again. So it was a nice piece that I saw. Like that guy. So was it about him as a supporter? No, we call the homemade flag because um, 
what happened? Um, me and Tommy made a, 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 a like these days you can just go and order a flag and then it comes yeah. in a package the next day, all done for you. But to back, make them, yeah, back in the seventies, it was like an old bed sheet. Yeah, and, uh, we had <laughs> yeah. a bottle of tobacco. That was funny. He didn't tell your mum. No. <laughs> it just make it. Yeah. It's really weird. It's uh, yeah. two in the bed and it's all gone missing. That <laughs> <laughs> was more or less it. But we, we took it and we tied it. Um, we've got a bit of some red I should have seen the state of oh, honestly. Honestly, I'll make it. But it was pink in the end. <laughs> so we had to put more to anyway, we'd some of the state of the sink me up, like cleaner for hours before we might go. <laughs> but uh, we were only about 14, 15, me and Tommy. So we made this, we spent weeks on it, and then we cut this out tablecloth up and sewn on the letters of Liverpool and all that. So it was ages, no, no needles in your fingers and all yeah. that. So it, it took us weeks, but. We put a lot of love in that, into yeah. that, that flag. So we took it to the 1974 FA Cup final and we used it to sleep in because we went down on a midnight special and it was just sleeping in Houston and everything. But it, and all around that, that was funny that day. We, we all ran up to Buckingham Palace singing Wake Up and all that. Trying to wake the Queen up. Someone said, yeah, let's, let's wake the Queen up. About, about 300 of us running up there. Um, I bet you did wake her up. <laughs> and then we, Prince Phil, we, we, we were singing, we, we walk a million miles to the end. He, oh, no, it was Prince Phil. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, I being at Buckingham Palace singing that. It was a crazy day, but um, great memories and all that. So anyway, um, fast forward, and uh, Tommy passed away, God love him, um, in the 90s. So anyway, my mum, I was having my mum's about a year later, and she, she, she was clearing the old day uh, that, Small room out in the small bedroom. She said, There's loads of your football stuff there. Can you take it home? So I was looking through this box, which is all scarves and programs and everything. And then at the bottom, oh, I found this flag. And I'd forgot oh. about it. And I opened it up and it broke my heart. Because mm. if I'd have known it was there, I'd, I'd have took it to the funeral. You know, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd I said that in, in, in the little poem. So anyway, it was about this homemade flag. Um, so, so I had Tommy's memory. So as I say, we, in the, in the end, um, the Merseyside, it was everywhere. And then and he found out it was me in the, in the end. Anyway. I'm going to have to get you to read it, aren't I? Do you reckon, yeah? Yeah, I do. Okay, I'll, I'll do Finish that. Finish the story. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll do that in a sec. Yeah but, yeah, but yeah, so there was that. And then, then I done it. Obviously, there was the Hillsborough stuff. As soon as Hillsborough came, yeah, I'd, I'd done a piece. I went to Hillsborough. I was at Hillsborough. Sorry, yeah. did, so did your name come out after that poem? After, after, after Radio Merseyside, hunted well, you down. No, what I'd done, I, I, you I was still on breeches <laughs> and boots. Okay. But, but I told the family it was me. Okay. You know what I mean? So I was still like yeah. an alias. And, and the reason I was under this alias for a couple of years was, was because... I guess I'm what happened to your new childhood. Yeah, because I could still feel you know, the, yeah. all, all this ridicule I got for like, yeah. writing anything sincere. And this, obviously, Tommy's poem was sincere. And uh, but, I mean, if it's being funny, one I don't want to just yeah, me, but it's interesting. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, I could still sort of feel them blows and all the yeah. And, so I thought, I'm not. So this place is in Boutelia, so was that for two, two, maybe three years nearly. Yeah, something like that because it was about 2002. And did you want to put your name to it, or you, you really did? You just be, be frightened, really? Yeah. About yeah. what the outcome would be? Exactly. Yeah, but I knew the family would want to know. Yeah. Like and and, the, and John, John, the dad, and that so his brother. So I knew. I told them, so they all knew it was me, but I didn't tell. Uh, I didn't tell the forum or the, or the magazine or the mm. the red all over the land thing. So, um, but like it was, it was only about, it was about two thousand two, and um, this is Hillsborough. I was going to the Hillsborough. I went to the Hillsborough Memorial thing mass every year, and I was going to that. So I wrote this piece because I went. I went. I was at Hillsborough. I know a couple of lads who didn't come back and stuff. So 
Um, but on the way there, um, on the coach, there was a kid opposite me in the aisle there. And um, I was talking to him on the way. He was going, John Barnes, he was going, oh, he's a lovely kid. Yeah, I'm his mate. And uh, and the year before, 1988, we went down that middle section, down that tunnel. And it was horrendous. Because I mean, you couldn't get him. You know the way you go into a garden, you can just disperse. It was, like mm-hmm. a, it was completely closed in. So the only way back out was through the tunnel. So he went in there and he remembered spinning that just the year before, 88. Mm-hmm. So we all end up at the side. So I was telling everyone that oh, don't come down that middle bit. Go to the side. So I was talking to this kid and all that on the coach to the... Uh, I was going in 89. Anyway, long story short, after the game, no shine, this kid and his mate. And uh, we were the last coach back from, from Hillsborough. We didn't get back till 11 that night, just looking with this kid. And uh, I got a phone call the next day. He'd gone. You know, he, he, was, he was killed. And I beat myself up for years um, for not saying something. I'd go up to the, to the, to the left-hand side. So that was it. So I wrote this piece. Um, it was called The Justice Bell. Because I found out, I mean, I won't mention the kid's name, but I found out about the family and, and like, he'd never changed his room from that day. So I wrote this piece called The Justice Bell. And, um, and like, Anne Williams adopted it because, uh, obviously Kevin passed away. And, uh, and she, and she had it. It was great to see Anne with the t-shirt with the, with the, uh, with the poem on the t-shirt and loads got printed. So, I mean, that's, and so that's when I put my name to the, the power of that yeah, is so, huge. Because a lot of the other yeah. families adopted it for their sons as well. There's quite a few of them who've never changed the, the, the bedrooms from that day. Yeah. So it was about my experience on that, on that, uh, through Hillsborough. But, so that's when I put my name to that one, Dave Kirby. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, I was out there and <laughs> I come out the closet. But, mm. you know, I'm, it was the right time, wasn't it? And for the right, absolutely yeah, the, the right exactly, reasons. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. And then from then on, that, that's when I started doing the, uh, the performance policy for, uh, for the Hillsborough Justice Campaign because you know, I was okay. part of that. Yeah. It's my mate, Peter Carney, who makes all the flags for the, for the... He made that famous Hillsborough flag and all that, you know, with the... Uh, that one, you know. Yeah. Peter made all them and... He's, uh, he was massive in, in the HJC, so he got me involved in Benefit Lights. And that's how I started uh, doing performance poverty uh, at, at the Mask Theatre, Benefit Lights. And so, yeah, well, and so after that, that was like, so that's when Tom Cassidy from Liverpool FC, he heard about me doing these poverty nights. So he goes to me and um, he, he, he phoned me up this day. I didn't know where he was, and he arranged to meet him. And he said, listen, I hear you do football poetry. And I said, yeah. And he went, listen, I'm dead worried. He said, I'm going to do these, these nights. This is like after we won in Istanbul. He said, we're going to start doing these big nights at Anfield. And um, you wouldn't mind, like, you know, getting, getting your on. He said, but I'm a bit worried about, you know, the word poetry and mm. getting the poet on. And yeah. So, so I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah. So, um, but you knew. Yeah. You so, knew. So once I've done me first. You were more confident then, yeah. weren't you? Once I got the first one, on, yeah. the way I was, I was laughing, and we we done loads of them in the end. But so that that's how it started. But I was getting more drawn. That was two thousand five, and I thought it would click up the Mersey. You know, that was that was that came out in two thousand six, and finally, you know, um, Kevin Kevin Fearing he agreed to do it, and uh, and two thousand six in the August, and he said that was another thing. He said, "Oh, you, you don't put a play on in August. Everything goes to Ahmed." That's in the test being with you. I said, oh, this is the best time to throw it on. I said, no, I'm not saying no, no, it's going dark. I said, no, from, I've never heard of it. So like I said, yeah, so, that is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's going to traditionally go dark in the August. That was, that's the time to open this up then. Because yeah. I said, you've got no competition to it then. Yeah. 
so many ladies there, and that's smashed it. First week, the, the, the only other on for three weeks, but you know they couldn't get the actors because the actors were like um, what's when they contacted out to do other things and, and other things, so they couldn't extend it because they were smashing it. So in the two thousand and seven, when it came out, the other on for six weeks, and it had uh, it was crazy. It was in the six weeks, it was on almost seventy thousand people it went nuts. It went absolutely crazy. So yeah, it just took off. Then, yeah. but I was out there by then, but ever since then. I've never looked back and I, I sort of like now and then now and again I do a poetry thing. I've done something called the uh, Footsteps of Our Fathers one time for the LFC TV because LFC TV, you know, they all of a sudden they were um, interested in, in me and was always on there for years doing different things. Mm. And I've done a piece called Footsteps of Our Father, which I'm proud of because uh, it was LFC TV. It's only a little three minute piece, but LFC TV put visuals to it. And it was before Liverpool played Cardiff in the cup final at Wembley in 2012. But we hadn't been to Wembley since 1996 because Wembley was getting regenerated mm. and rebuilt. So we went to Cardiff, didn't we, for all those years. So we hadn't been back to Wembley for sort of like well, 16 years. But the last time I was there, I had mates and I had passed away and obviously my dad had passed away. And mm. So I was thinking of all that. So with this footsteps of our fathers had done the piece. And anyway, Kenny was watching LFC TV this night and he's seen it. And uh, the lads at LCTV said, Kenny, uh, he wants a DVD of it. He wants, he wants to see it. So he went for himself. I said, oh, well, that's nice. I just thought he wanted it for himself. Yeah. So I'm walking down Wembley Way on the, on the, on the day of the game. I'd just done a piece with LFCTV over on Wembley Way. And then I was walking up Wembley Way to the grounds. And my phone goes, this is Jamie, can I? And he goes, Dave, he said, Kenny's just played your footsteps. Piece, he said to the team. As part of the team talk, he said, "This is oh my god." He said, "This is what it means." Oh my god, I never knew that. He said, "This is what it means to the fans." So he, Kenny played it to the, uh, to the team. Yeah, I've got goosebumps. No, reminds you after the game. The lads just because we, we went to penalties. That yeah, the lads just said, "No one's been playing shite." They're like blaming me. Yeah, you were saying not until we won. Yeah. <laughs> so I do, I do dip into the odd uh, policy now because of the, I think. Well, it's where your horse is, isn't yeah, it? Well, that's where it started, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Jimmy McGovern said that to me one time. He said, we all start off as poets. Jimmy used to do uh, political poetry on London Bridge and all that, shouting it at the politicians and all that. So, yeah. So at the end of the day, yeah, poetry's in your heart. So I do do it now and again, but it's mainly all drama now. So that's where it is at the moment. You know, I've just, um, the latest venture is a radio play. I've just written a radio play, okay. which I haven't done for years. The last one got rejected, 2000. <laughs> Another one? Yeah, yeah. That you have to make a list. <laughs> Pin it on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, since I had the piece on the TV last year, obviously um, it opens doors for you. Know, yeah. You can start to get more cues. Is this the moving on piece? Moving on episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. From the Jimmy for Jimmy McGovern, yeah. On the BBC last year. So once that was on, you know, obviously, you, you know, I written the radio play, so... Right away, you know, you've had a piece on a TV, yeah. TV, credentials, yeah, you yeah. get listened to right away. Whereas mm. the last time I wrote a radio play, it was just basically pissing into the wind, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. Is, it, is it BBC Radio? Yeah, it'd be Radio oh, 4. Radio 4, yeah. Yeah, they're the only ones that sort of do them. Yeah, they're yeah. They're the most credible. There's all the channels that do them, but, you know, that's the one you want. You want so how does that them. work then? Obviously, that's a combination of your acting and your poetry, isn't it, I guess? Because you've got yeah. to have... And cast people to read it out, or do you, how does it work? They don't they have cast oh, they've done. Yeah, so okay. Well, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's not one of them. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's a powerful piece. It's about it's about it's about two hours long, mate. Actually, okay. so it's like um, 
But like it's gonna be castings. I just don't get it, right? Because you know that's it's everything really the casting. But I mean the, the actual pieces, yeah, it's kind of because with radio, you know, I'm painting pictures with words as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? As well with, with time, I'm just it's on yes. the stage, it's there. Yeah. But with the um, that's where the poetic kind of thing yeah. comes in. So there's a lot of narrative in it. Mm. And, the, and, that and you've got to really get those images in people's yeah, heads, yeah. haven't you? So I'm, I'm describing colours and everything like you would with prose and anything. Yeah. So I'm describing colours and you know, obviously there's ambience and all that going on. Mm. So like so all that comes into it. So it's like a, it's a nice it's a nice change to do something yeah. you know, with the different mediums and that. Yeah. You know, I've sort of crossed over all the mediums now. Because that here we go gathering cups in maybe that we done with seven of us done that. And that's the best seller now. To, to be deemed a best seller, you've got to sell 30,000 books. And that was a best seller within six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the club wouldn't uh, stop it. No. Because it's, it's too much sort of like swearing and stuff. And it's just about yeah. how you got to each file. And, uh, to, who's going to do the next chapter? Is this, so hang on. So where, where does it go up to? Is it, is it Istanbul well, we Covers? No. Yeah, yeah. We, we okay. done, we done it, we done it in 2007 when, uh, when we got back from Athens. Okay. And uh, I done 77. Uh, Nicky Oates on 78. Peter Hooten on the farm, he's on 81. Jexy Dodd, he's on 84. Kevin Sampson, the writer, he's on 85 because we didn't want to leave Heisel out. Yeah. Um, I like called uh, John Maguire. He was funny, John, because uh, like, he'd never really written before, but John's a good writer, but he, he used to see him on the forums. But he, we wanted a kid who'd never been to any of the others. Mm. And he, so his stand was his first experience. Okay. So he'd done uh, I bet you all, I bet you must have inspired him. I oh, bet you're yeah. wondering if you've, yeah. well, I bet you, you know, I was going to ask you about that. There's probably loads of races that you've inspired and come on. And, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Like, you know, that's, a, that's another nice part of the, you know, the, the, um, the job, you know, to inspire others. Yeah. I wrote a school play one time, you know, uh, the uh, All Shop School. Okay. Uh, with Liam Moore, Liam Moore's a great, he, he's a great character, Liam. He's, 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 he's a man of God now, but, you know, he, he wasn't always that way, but he's saying that way, but he's funny because he's still got his, like, from not a screen, and he's like, oh, bless, bless your loads, lads. He's one of them, he's, he's great, he's super. That's his favorite scene, bless your loads, lads. So, um, he's great. So, I mean, Liam, you know, I do anything for Liam because he, you know, he's, he's a born again Christian. There's no, no, there's no agendas with him, there's mm. no nothing. He just wants to do good for people. So, mm. he wrote this piece called uh, Heaven for the Day, and it was like a school piece, and all stuff, and that went down really well as well. You know, we're open, open to run that round, but. Yeah, I'll come back at some point. Yeah, I, I think mean, it's going to be more important than yeah, ever. Yeah, because it was gun crime then, but it's more knife crime now, uh-huh. so I can, change, I can change it. Yeah. But that, that'll, that, that could come around again. But uh, but Liam, Liam actually won um, he won Stars and Allies as Phil Collins years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a okay. brilliant singer. Still. Yeah, yeah. But, like, he's funny, as I say. He's got a, still, still got a scrappy voice, but he's like, yeah, amen, lads, and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who's going to write Madrid? <laughs> that's another one in it. I know, but that's just a nicky one. We'll have to update it because um, we don't. So Tony Barrett on Athens, man. Tony Barrett. Oh was, yeah. Yeah, Tony, yeah, yeah. Tony, as I say, but uh, but that was two thousand seven. Well, there's been two since then. Kiev as oh, well. Of course. Kiev and Madrid. So there's two more to do. So um, oh yeah, that was, that was a great. Everyone knows my story, the Rome 77. Yeah, story. yeah, well, that, it, it, because it was the fir- not only the first one, obviously, yeah. you got the flag as well. The, oh. People associate the, the Joey flag, don't they? With, exactly. uh, yeah, which yeah. is incredible. And then, yeah. and, and the fact that it, you know, you'd never been out of the con- country before, so yeah. many of them, and it was like a mass exodus, oh. wasn't it, from the city? That's it. Well, it was the biggest mass exodus at that time, 1977. 
Probably yeah, from the country, I'm since, guessing. Since the DJ land. Okay. I can believe that. 27,000 yeah. of us went, you know. 27,000? Oh, I was going to say 20, but I was like, it's only 30. 27,000. Did you all get in? Yeah, we all, <laughs> I we bet all, you did, actually. The security did. was probably less than. <laughs> it was a great time. It was a great, great Five days, like an, an epic adventure. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it was five days on trains and not trees or drink. And, I mean, that was commitment. Up. But world. also naivety, probably as well, because yeah. no one knew what they were going into. Not at all. I mean, it's only ever been to Telakis. So, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. that was about it. But it was, it was brilliant, and it was just an adventure. And I, if I could go, I'd probably do it again, but I'd have to be that age again to do it. I was going to say, if you were going to take yourself back to, yeah. we're drifting into fussy now. But if you if you were going to pick a moment, yeah, well, would it be that? It'd be that one because yeah. you know it was the whole that whole. How old were you then? 18? 17. Seventeen. Yeah. Seventeen. You know, I've had some golden moments of the year before we all it's like to talk here, you know, me and all that. We're on the I could have I mean I was in the building today and I thought oh, sod this, you know, I was painting and decorating and I got a job painting and decorating. Was you know, mixing plaster was hard. Mm. I've been doing this since I was thirteen, so I said to me dad, I get getting this painting and decorating job. So I got the painting and decorating job and spewed it to talk here. <laughs> and then he was made up with you. Yeah, <laughs> with the other summer ever, so we all just got off. Yeah. Um, and then on a doll down there, that was I mean, even the adventures there, you know, mm. I bring everything into me. Characters yeah. in your place. And the music and everything. And often, mm. I, mean, I mentioned, I referenced the talk here and there, last and Lost Soul too. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously, there's like a little bit of a heartfelt stuff in that as well. I always like yeah. pulling pull them down yeah. a little bit. I don't want to suit you. No. Really. You know, I don't want like yeah. five minutes. <laughs> I bet you could do. Yeah, but yeah. you probably could, but uh, you're you conscious of your audience, aren't you? I think. Absolutely. And yeah. That's another thing uh, Alan Bleasdale said to me years ago. He said, Always know your audience. Yeah. Always know. I mean, when I'm writing for Radio 4, like, that's for the nation. Yeah. It's a dark piece, you know what I mean? And mm. so people like that. But if I started coming up with, you know, five minutes sort of profound soliloquies or monologues, and, you know, yeah. I get they'd lose you. Yeah. yeah, you'd lose them. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I just know what to do in there, you know, but it's nice to have the opportunity to. to uh, it's like your policy. I can do hilarious stuff and take the mechie. Mm. Then I can do profound, darker stuff. What do you prefer? Um, it depends. I mean, it's funny enough, you, you, you get recognised more for your, um, for your deeper stuff, you know what I mean? Than, yeah. Than, 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 the, than the comedy stuff, you know what I mean? I, yeah, but then you hit more people with the comedy, don't you? You do. You, you get, you know. I have to laugh yeah. when people say, um, you know, like these people who, who don't write to entertain and stuff. You look down the nose on it, and it's it's hard. It's hard. Mm. It's hard. I can't believe that. I remember Willie Russell said to me one time, and this is you can argue with Willie. He said anyone can anyone can write dark. You try and entertain people. Mm. He said the people that can't do it criticise those who can, mm. and it's a true fact that yeah. I can... So all these all these like you've got to be brave as well, and have real like you say that grit that you've got. I can still see it in your eyes and when you're talking, it's never going to leave you. No, no. You're so determined, but you need that. You, that's what's kept you going, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So fella said that to me and he said, how oh, come you're still angry? I said, it's not It's just in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but it, uh, what a great medium for you to let it out. I mean, people yeah. let it out in different ways and then their life ends up in completely different places, doesn't yeah, it? Of course, you yeah. know, yeah. and whereas you've got, you know, you're grounded, you've got your beautiful family, you've got your lovely home, and you've got, you know, you're in a great place and you're influencing people, Dave, yeah. just through the power of your writing that you choose, you chose to do that instead of the other. And um, yeah. how amazing is that? Yeah. And how inspirational is that? And I, and I could have went down, you know, 
different parts because I've got mates and that who ended up in, in serious trouble yeah. in prisons and that. Yeah. And they'd all I went down to talk here with. Yeah. And we all just stayed down there. And when we come back, they went down certain roads. And I could have went, I went down there a little bit with them, and that, but I didn't go all the way. And what kept fine. you back? Your mum and dad? Yeah, I'd say. I'd Maybe. Probably, probably like me and no, my aunt. I was in trouble all the time. I was, I was the one who always brought the police to the door mm. as a kid. Um, but there was like my aunt for his morals and values, which mm. I've still got, by the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I that. And then that, that, there was like a work ethic, but also like, you know, there's just like, like the line he didn't cross, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And my mates were like, uh, like the, I think all of them, I had about seven or eight mates. There's only like one or two that didn't end up in prison. Wow. So that's that's where I was heading with them. And did your dad? I can say this Uncle Jimmy ever say anything to you? Because <laughs> we all loved him, and he was such a character. But obviously, you would have held him in different, you know, esteem, didn't you? Really, in terms of, oh, yeah. was he just your dad? Is it oh. since he's gone that you do that more, or you know, since, is it at the time you know that it, there was a line, like you say, that line not to cross? Yeah, I mean, he was he was, he was really strict when he was younger because he was like like all his generation. He'd, he'd done the, he was, he'd done the TA and, and all that as well. The national service, the national service, yeah. So they were all like disciplinarians. So like all my generation got that after the and that. But but like you know, he was he was funny as well. Many times he was he was yeah funny. yeah he was yeah. he was always laughing. He was yeah. always laughing in our house. Mm. But like there's a line he didn't cross when I brought the busy to the, the coppers to the door. You know, yeah, he was, uh, was always like. <laughs> Yeah, you were scared of your dad. But yeah. as I got older, you know, I got, obviously he became like my mate then. Yeah. I mean? And it's like all kids in it, they're awful, it's just a dad. And then yeah. as you get older, you, you become, Learn to appreciate them, yeah. yeah. I remember I was saying once, I was like, was, well, I couldn't pay any mortgage and all that. I was really struggling one time. And he, and he said, listen, Sonny, a problem shared is a problem half. Tell me all about it. And I told him, you know what I mean? And he went, okay, let's sort it out. So I mean, and that was one of the, like a nice moment because like I never spoke like that to me dad before yeah. and, he, you know, and he helped me out and he had a few quid and all that because we were still living with mortgage at the time mm. uh, I don't know how years ago so yeah but I mean he, he was great my dad he must have been so proud of you I know he get, didn't get to see a lot of the stuff but we, yeah. you know even what he saw I, I reckon he was probably worried at one point and then you turned it around for him yeah, didn't yeah, you Dave? I mean, that's, that's the nicest part of that because I know I, I was the one that put the grey hairs on the head I was the one that Especially my mum and I, you know, they've done everything for me, but like. Well, she's I, still going strong now. She's 93. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Amazing. I, yeah. When I was in Boston, it was like by Manchester, and they had to get like four buses that took them all day to get there. Yeah. They didn't drive, my mum yeah. and dad. And he used to spend about four hours getting there just for half an hour's visit. Then back. Mm, but you know I mean? but so if like, they hadn't come, because of, they knew how important that was to turn yeah, up. Exactly. To yeah. help you. And keep you positive and keep you yeah, exactly. sane and stuff. You think of them moments and, and all that. So, like, yeah, but my dad, yeah, he was good. I was just ashamed that he didn't get to see the council double bruise. That was the one. Yeah. But I'd already got out there with the brick up the Mersey. And uh, I'd done one in 2005, which sort of got me out there called uh, What Was It Like in the War? And that was through First Big Productions, Paul Nicholson, great fellow, he ran Kensington Community Centre. And uh, so I'd done, I'd done that for him and then it's on the school panto for them. For them. But then it's on Lost Soul on the Unity. Lost Soul started on the Unity Theatre. Oh, okay. That's why yeah. I invited the everyone to play. I was nearly rejected it. Mm. And then it went to the Royal Court and went nuts. Mm. You know what I mean? It's had three, four runs now. That. Mm. As I say, they, they've actually, they actually rejected work um, just with Brick Up and Lost Soul. 
There's over 200,000 people seeing them two plays along. Mm. No, I mean, sorry. That's a lot of people. That's, oh what, my God, that's, that's like that, 200,000. You say it like it's, it was 2,000, but it's 200,000. 200, so, I mean, it's phenomenal. How, but that's how many people live in the 90s, is it? Mm. The elitist, mm. But you kept going and you got it out there, didn't you? Got you did it. End, and yeah. how many people talk about it now still? Uh-huh. And people see your name and they go, right, I'm going to book that. I'm going to go. I'm going to get yeah. my mates together. And again, it all comes back to that communication bond and conversation, the power of it all. Doesn't yeah, it? And that, it does, yeah. and that from that, and the fact that you create these characters with this razor sharp wit and and, and humour that you know you get those belly laughs, don't you? And yeah. it must be a great feeling to hear the the theatre erupt in laughter. And, it is. I mean, that, that's sometimes like because it takes like four or five months to, to knock up like people think you knock it up in about a week. I mean, funny enough, the TV episode that's on for an hour, it's like on for an hour. I've done that in about two months with obviously rewrites and mm. stuff, but the play. I mean, the camera, I mean, to give you an example, it was like 162 camera moves, and like scene changes in in the drama on the TV. With the, with the theatre, you're stuck. Mm. That's it. You, you don't go anywhere. So yeah. like, like in Council Depot Blues, there's three scenes, you know, the, the, the depot, the house, and then the outside the depot, mm. and that's it. And the same with all my plays, you've only got three scenes. So you've got to create a story for two hours around three scenes. Yeah. It's hard. When you've got like an open book and just do where you go, you want with the telly, yeah. it's a lot easier for screen. But so, I bet you still prefer the theatre. It is. It's hard at all because I mean that's yeah. when, when I'm in them, them in that sort of five months when I'm in solitude and you know you need the solitude to do it. And, and the days when you've written something, you go, "That's crap," and just throw it away. And the day before, and you look at it and you think it's great on that scene, and you look, so you, all this is going on. Mm. But uh, during them moments, you know, you just remind yourself, and I've got tapes of. All the crowd cheering. Okay, that's interesting. Like, I just go like that. And put that on. That's fascinating, that. That's what you're doing it for. Yeah, you're making an impact doing on it for them. Yeah. Well, it's not about you, it's about them and all that. So it's bringing joy to people. It's yeah. probably one of the biggest joys of all to bring joy to others. Yeah. So if you were 18, tell us, what would you tell yourself now? Maybe even younger. Let's go younger, 18. I reckon, with you. 18. 16. Oh, what's well, just, I don't know. Yeah. Can you picture yourself? Yeah, yeah, I can picture myself. And I can picture myself getting sucked into situations and, and like, following people mm. and, like, listening to them instead of just using my own head. I did in the end because I walked away from it. Mm. And they all ended up in prison. But at first, I was just, like, a sheep or listening. I didn't. So I, I'd say, yeah, just believe in yourself. Don't, don't, you know, question things and just don't, don't make the right choices and don't be... And also, don't if you get to a certain point, don't, don't let your education hold you back. Because mm. at first, I was I was like intimidated by academia. I'll be honest with you, you know, mm. by, the, by the people I was meeting, because they all come up with these big words, and I didn't understand half of them. Mm. You know, I didn't. I, you sort of educate yourself over the years, but I was, I was, yeah, I was like very, very intimidated by it. But then you, once you realise, hang on, these, these people, they're, they're, no, they're no better. Than, no. no one's better than anyone. No. You know what I mean? So don't. don't just believe in yourself, but don't, you know, if you get, if, if you got mates who are going down wrong roads, just don't do it. Well, just, just think for yourself. Cause as I say, I, I could have ended up in a different place. It was that close. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and I see that, I mean, see the lads now, you know, they've obviously done time and all that, but I was going to ask you, did you, have you kept in touch with them? Yeah, there's, there's two or three who, um, who was in, with so in Tohiwe. Um, a lot of lads have passed away now, sadly enough. But there's two or three that are left. Yeah, but they're all they're out now. And they're, they're obviously like they were doing, and they weren't bad. They were just rogues. 
He went, yeah. he went, um, he went well, it, was the, it was a sign of the times, wasn't yeah. it? There was nothing, it was like, there was no aspiration. The city was the whole classic managed decline and all yeah, that yeah. nonsense of the, exactly. the 80s and yeah, stuff. And it was just no opportunity, no nothing. There was nothing. So, like, no. I mean, there was obviously, you wouldn't hear no one all the time, like into fatties and stuff like that. And, mm. yeah. Remember, um, I bet you could do. You should do. You bet you could write a few books yeah, on that. That's really you? Yeah, you say nobody hurt anybody, no, and no. that's the difference to today, isn't it's it? Really when we come out to KB and Hustlers, stick on time. We had a load of cigarettes and like uh, boxes of cigarettes. Woodbine, don't forget it. Boxes of woodbines, <laughs> six thousand in, in a box. Oh Honestly, guys, so we were walking over the, the fields by Simonswood Lane, where where the Liverpool FC Academy is now. Next thing, a police car burns up, chased us and got us and that. So we had to top the boxes and that. So they had the coffers like, what's in them? Shit. I know what's coming. So he goes like that. Where's he lives? So he booted me off the backside. Punched me in the back of the head. I said, get on. So he went and put the, they put the ciggies in the boot and off the coffers got off. Yeah. Well, he's had a video. Yeah. And then like, yeah. Well, I mean, there was stuff like that, you know, it was just all scally stuff. And what? There was, there was nothing else then, but they're, they're all made up now. They can't believe it's me doing all this. Which yeah, is nice as well. Yeah, and they must be proud of you, really. Yeah. You know, and plus it's given. Obviously, they've turned a corner, but you know they've been through what they've been through, and then but they're seeing you and how, how it could have been for them, maybe. So maybe there's some sadness there, but also some hope as well. Like you've, you know, that they see you and they're made yeah. up. Yeah, that's why I mean, getting, getting to younger kids as well is good. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a piece called. Street it's Team. still very much needed, especially now more than ever. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I've done a piece for Colin McHugh at LA Productions many, about 10 years ago, called Street Heat, and that still gets shown in schools. It's about okay. like fire related disorder, no scallies, you set fire to bins and all okay. that. So, I, but the lads who were in it, uh, they, they were going to film this at facts, so the kids who were in it had all been done for this fire related disorder. Mm. So, I had to get these stories out of them. So, I've been to the, the uh, fire brigade and talked to them, so they would tell me their side. So, I had to get the scallies side of it. How they started the fires and that. So, so I was doing this workshop with them in uh, LA Productions and they wouldn't speak to me. And I said, Yeah, I'm a boys, what, 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 do you think you are? Mm. And I give it to them. They probably voice. respected you, then. I said, where are you from? Not a screen. I named a few, few fellas that mm. know from now and then. Do you know where I'm from? And I said, I said well, I'm going to walk out of there now. I said, when I come back, you're going to start talking and I'm, and I'm walking. So anyway, um, I've done that. I come back. Next thing, he starts talking up and us all about how they do it. So I got the script together then. But, <laughs> but at, at the, fact, the fact, when we had the big uh, premiere night, they came, they got tuxedos up and all that. These kids, you know, this is all paid for by these Yeah. So they come on a, on a fire engine, about six, seven of them. They're all like buzzing because we filmed it down gas and they were all in it. Yeah. They were in the film. So uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, That's a brilliant story. But, but this kid who was like the main, uh, he was the main leader of them. Yeah. He comes up to me in the fact he said, uh, you're not like all the other fucking mings we meet. <laughs> Yeah. That's what he said. That's because you were real yeah. and relatable, though. So, but I got And you've through, been there. Yeah, so I got through to them. Mm. And we made this film. That still, still gets shown in, in schools now. It's like a little 10-minute piece. Of, yeah. But it's like hard hitting, you know what I mean? Yeah. Suzanne Collins was in that. That's okay. first yeah. worked with Suzanne. And yeah. that's how I got it into Brick of the Mersey. It's almost because mm. I worked with her on that. 
Yeah. So, um, but it was interesting that, but so I've done little you know, pieces like that, but it's nice to connect with you know, yeah. the younger generation, especially now. I need to badly tell me, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it does. So, uh, yeah, so that, I'll keep on doing that, and hopefully, hopefully, that heaven for the day I can start touring around the schools again. Yeah, so that's uh, that'll be a nice one because I like. Like connecting with kids who've been down that, because I've been down that road. Yeah. And I can't connect with them in that way. But, um, yeah, but I just, just, there's no need to go there. You know what I mean? Just, just believe in yourself and, and don't listen to, you know, to bad advice or, you know, it's, it's, as I say, I, I regret certain things, but the, be, the best thing I ever done was walk away from, from that. And it was hard at the time. Because it takes from, bottle, doesn't it? And, yeah. and courage. Yeah, Because it's easy it's easier to follow, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was a big I was a follower. I mean that, that's that was one of the big things in that. And, and in that Dorsal drama that I've wrote for radio, one of the characters in that similar is basically me. Mm. You know I mean he's got a conscience for Yeah. You know, Do you feel like when you're doing this writing that it's like cathartic because you're like you're getting it all you like you say, you're getting out your your past. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember Willie Russell saying that as well. Is it, does it make you feel lighter in a way? Yeah, because I mean, sometimes you don't realise it's you. I mean, I remember, yeah. uh, I remember like, obviously once, once I was writing uh, Council Temple Blues, the main character, Danny, you know, this lad who's got a talent and he's going to get stuck in the council for the rest of his life and he's trying to get out because he knows he's got something, but he's he's not going to get out. He's trying, but he's not going to get out. But I realised that was me. Do you know what I mean? It's the, the same in that... Um, you know, the little uh, story I done last year for the number 19 film, you know, when we had Andy Schofield, and mm. it's like a fella thinking back to uh, the homecomings and, with his dad and all that, and that, and that main character was me. Mm. So, but you don't realise at the time when you're doing it. I remember Willie Russell saying that to me as well, because when he when he was writing Rita, he said, Rita's basically me. Mm. And that was him going back yeah. to Northern University and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So that was Willie. He said, but sometimes it's subconsciously it's you. Yeah. You know, and then, so it is good. But once you see it, healing, yeah. You know, but when when I see councils that are blues now, I don't, it's, it's, I love watching that because I know it's me. Yeah. It's me. So it is good that yeah. yeah. Spot on. Honestly, it's been absolutely incredible. Is there anything else that we want? We need to cover? Did you want to do a? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd like you to. I'd love you yeah. to do that. The justice belt, do that. The, yes, the please. On, the kid on the coach. Yeah. This, this is the one that um, and Williams um, adopted for, for Kevin. But it could be applied to any of the, the young lads who didn't come back that day. I spoke the kids who uh, was on the coach next to me. It's called the Justice Bell. It was written in 2002, so I don't know. You know anyway, a schoolboy holds a leather ball and a photograph on a bedroom wall. The bed is made, the curtains drawn, the silence greets the break of dawn. The dusk gives way to morning light, revealing shades of red and white which hang from posters locked in time of the Liverpool team of 89. Upon a pale white quilted sheet, a football kit is folded neat, with a yellow scarf trimmed with red and some football boots beside the bed. In hope, the room awakes each day to see the boy that used to play. But once again, it wakes alone because this young boy is not coming home. Outside, the springtime fills the air. The smell of life is everywhere. Violas bloom and tulips grow while the daffodils dance heel to toe. These should have been such special times for a boy who'd not be in his plan, but spring forever turned to grey in the Yorkshire sun that April day. The clock was locked on 3.06. The sun shone down upon the pitch, lighting up faces etched in pain as death descended on Lepping's Lane.
between the bars, an arm is raised. Amidst the human tidal wave, a body too frail to fight for breath is drowned below a sea of death. His outstretched arm then disappears to signal 15 years of tears as 96 souls of those who fell await the toll of the justice bell. Ever since that awful day, a vision often comes my way. I reach and grab his outstretched arm and pull him up away from harm. I hear his voice, I see his face, but wishful dreams are soon replaced by the vision that haunts me most, an empty seat on a silent coach. On April the 15th every year, and all is calm and skies are clear, beneath the glowing Yorkshire moon, a lone Scotch piper plays a tune. The tune rings out the justice cause that blows due west across the moors. It passes by the internal flame and engulfs the young boy's picture frame. His room was as it was that day. For 15 years, it stayed that way, untouched and frozen forever in time since that tragic day in 89. And as the pipes play their haunting sound, tears are heard from miles around to the tears of the families of those who fell, still awaiting the toll of the justice bell. So that was about the kid on the, the coach, you know, so that was, uh, yeah, that got me out there, like, but, like that was the one I, I, I put on uh, the T-shirts and stuff for, uh, incredible. for Kevin. So, I can uh, see it still gets to you when you read it. Yeah, I mean, because that's me and I'm thinking of that kid and what I should have, you know. No. You know, but, you... You know that's, that, that disturbed me for years, to be honest. But like as I say, there's, uh, <laughs> there's loads of different ones I've done over the years, I mean, is the flag one in there? The uh, the homemade flag? Yeah. Should be. That was followed by Mike Myers. Oh, yeah. Like, He's from Bootle, yeah. isn't he? How did you get him to do that? <laughs> he just got into me. He was in love. So like, funny. Just said, oh, Mike, you're the best on all that. Did you know that? <laughs> Where was your man from? Well, he just got into him. He was in the air. Yeah, so that was a nice touch, that. That is a nice touch. Yeah, so like he just it was a forward. It's called a homemade flag. Probably the first one I saw that got me out there, this one. In all the years we've been apart, I thought that time would heal my heart. But the hurt came back just yesterday. It never really goes away. I came back from Cardiff, full of joy. I hugged my daughter and little boy. I asked this question again and again. Why weren't you spared to do the same? My mind drifts back into the past. Some 30 years, it's gone so fast. Two teenage boys, all lives ahead, off town to Wembley, draped in red. A homemade flag we took that day. It's incompatible to today. An old bedsheet, a bottle of dye, <laughs> about eight foot long and four foot high. It took so long to make that thing. Scissors cotton you bring every evening after school, sewn on the letters of Liverpool. Down to London, midnight scene. Attempts to sleep were all in vain. Houston is cold at 4 a.m. That flag came in handy once again. Snuggled in our flag like peas in a pod. At 6.45 we were woken by plod. Wake up now, boys, you can't sleep there. So often it's you, to Trafalgar Square. Only 8am, but what a sight. Trafalgar was bouncing as if it was night. The black and white Geordies, the Liverpool Red, as the statue of Nelson looked on overhead. About 300 strong with them masts without malice. To my military arch to Buckingham Palace. Let's rate the Queen up, you said for a joke. But our flag tied around you like Batman's cloak. All day around London, it was much the same team. So proud of our city and the flag of our team. We hunger from buses, we hunger from trains. Then as we hit Wembley, up it went once again. 
the whole day was perfect and so was our team. The most one-sided final that I've ever seen. I can never forget the joy on your face as we lifted the cup and we turned and embraced. As the years went by and we grew into men, we'd meet up every now and then. We'd talk of the old times and the things we'd done, like the Exorcist, Jaws, Band on the Run. I remember so vividly the day I found out that God had called your number out. I thought of your parents, I thought of your John, I thought of your wife and your three-year-old son. But death has no mercy, doesn't play by the rules. To take a man in his dirties is so very cruel. You fought it so hard, but always in vain, that a trumpet sounded and the angels came. About three years later, I was round at my mum's, looking through all the old photo albums, that my ma shouted up from the bottom of the stairs. There's a bin bag of yours on the spare room chair. Inside the bag was all sorts of things, old programmes, scarves and a book called Cop Kings, tickets, stubs, news clips, things I hadn't seen for years. Then I stumbled on something that reduced me to tears. I stared for a moment in disbelief. My whole body went weak, overcome with grief. For there, near the bottom of this old memory bag, folded up nice and neat, was our homemade flag. I closed my eyes as I opened it up. My heart was racing as I finally looked. I wept like a child as I kneeled on the floor, as I thought of that day back in 74. I held it tight and whispered your name. Ah, Tommy, I wish I could see it again. If I'd known it was here, I'd have done my best to take it around you and you lazy to rest. But lass, now it's mine, and it always will be. When I open it out, it's your face I can see. Adventures and memories that will always last. That flag is my window into the past. So good night, God bless that. Until my next prayer, I know that your, your spirit is around somewhere. You could be millions of miles on some heavenly star. But when I'm old and half flag, you were never that far. Tommy McFadden, 1958 to 1995. Oh my God, I love so, that. Yeah, that was... Wow. That, that, that was like so powerful because I was literally seeing you do everything then. Dave, it's just been so absolutely amazing, honestly. I've just, I'm really emotional because um, I know how much you are and you don't talk about yourself that often. Um but you've made an exception for me today and I feel very, very proud. Um, I love the fact how you've opened up, especially about the tough times when you were a kid, the kids who love to write poems. Mm -hmm. um, you've had so much rejection, um, but you've walked on through gritted teeth and that will have massively hit home. Um, and I know you'll have inspired, I know you've inspired many already, but you'll certainly, I'm very proud that I know that you're going to inspire some of the listeners and the people potentially even watching today, because I've got a feeling I might just stick this out. <laughs> um, even though it's a bit rough and ready, it doesn't matter, because that's what we are, isn't it? Um, but you've shared your story about what to do when it gets tough, you know? Yeah. Dig deep and keep going and walking on. Um, and I want to thank you so much for opening up. Um, on about the power of conversation, but especially about the power of the words that we tell ourselves and the power of the words that you write are just incredible. You've got away with words, son. You've got away with words. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Mrs. O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're a Liverpool legend and you will never walk alone in our great city, Dave. Thank you so much, Walk On. Absolute Love you. Pleasure. <laughs> that was so lovely. Yeah, please stop being sure that you're oh, not. That was brilliant. 
The simple yet powerful art of conversation and communication should never be underestimated. And I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback either via the contact form on my website, talkontowalkon.com or on my Instagram at michellewalters underscore. Also, I'd be thrilled if you could help the power of conversation message to reach as many people as possible to help achieve this dream and so that you never miss an episode of Talk On To Walk On, please rate, review and subscribe, remembering that the simplest act can have the largest impact.